wait for me. Just please wait for me. I, I might be a little late, but just wait for me. I promise I'll be there. When you're waiting for someone, how long will you wait before you get tired of waiting? How, how long will you wait? For example, will a point come where you'll give up on them? I've waited for people for appointments, let's say for coffee. Sometimes I'll wait, usually probably wait about 10, 15 minutes. And if they're not there, I figure they're not coming. But what happens if you're waiting longer than that? Let's say you're waiting for half an hour, hours, perhaps. Perhaps there are times in your life when you're waiting for something to happen and you're having to wait for days, weeks, months, even years. The longer we have to wait, the more difficult and challenging it can be because we get anxious inside. We want whatever it is we're anticipating to be there when it needs and promise to be there. Well, the Christians community has a little bit of a problem because they've been waiting. They have been waiting for over 2,000 years for the return of Jesus. Think about that. Christians have taught and have waited for close to 2,000, if, or if not over 2,000 years, for the second coming of Jesus. Now, that's not all Christians. It's usually about 47% of evangelicals. When you move into mainline, that drops into like 30%. Catholics, 27%. So it's not by far, it's not the majority of Christians, but it is a significant number of Christians who believe in the second coming of Jesus. But not everyone has believed that the Messiah would come, some figure would come and destroy the earth by his second coming. You see, before the birth of Christianity, there is no idea of a complete, total destruction of the world. If you read in the Hebrew Bible, the Christian Old Testament, you'll find the idea of a Messiah but the Messiah is not one who is coming to destroy the earth. Rather, the Messiah is limited in locale. The Messiah is one who will come and deliver them from their oppressors. Doesn't matter if their oppressors used to be the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, doesn't matter. Their hope was that a Messiah would eventually come from God. He would be called the Son of God, not necessarily God, but the Son of God, and this Messiah would deliver them. So that's why Jesus' followers, when they were actually with him when he was here on this earth, as well as those who continued to follow him when he was no longer here on this earth, that's why they had a problem. Because when Jesus died... Their hope of a Messiah, their hope that this Messiah would deliver them from the power of the Roman Empire, it was demolished. So when that happened, they either had to throw Jesus out or they had to reinterpret what it meant for someone to be the Messiah, and in particular, for Jesus to be the Messiah. So a change took place. No longer did they dream of a, of a victorious military insurgency against the Roman Empire. Instead, they begin to look for a universal destruction of the world 
and an eternal afterlife in another realm. There was a shift that took place. And because of that shift, there was an emphasis that Jesus, despite being dead and, according to some, resurrected from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, that he would return and bring about this cleansing of the earth. That the world would be destroyed, that Jesus would save those who were faithful to him, who believed in him, who accepted him as their Lord and Savior, that Jesus would do that for them, save them, but everyone else, eh, not so much. Yeah, not so good for them. And then the world destroyed, and there would be a new heaven and a new earth. This really took on a heavier significance around 70 CE or the Common Era. It was this, during this period of time, that Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and the great revolt in Judea was put down. When all that took place, they had to re-understand what Christianity would be. And so, ever since, there has been a waiting Individuals have passed that truth or that idea down from generation to generation that there would be a coming or a second coming of Jesus, and Jesus would make everything right. But in that process of waiting, there was an element of fear, actually an element of mixed emotions. On the one side, there was a sense of fear. On the other side, there was a sense of joy. And that's exactly what I experienced growing up. I grew up, again, as I've told you, in a fundamental home, fundamental church. And we believed in a literal, physical second coming of Jesus. I was taught that that return was imminent. I remember 40-some years ago being told that any day Jesus could come. And in one side, that was kind of cool. I was looking forward to it because all the positive things that would come with that, no more crying, no more pain, those were all pluses. But on the other side, there was an element of fear. There would be things that I would miss out on growing up here on this earth. Probably the biggest one was sex. I'd been taught that there would be no sex in wherever we ended up, so... If Jesus came before I had sex, I would be a virgin the rest of my life. Didn't really want that. And so I believed growing up that that return of Jesus was imminent. What I found out later on was that my dad, he believed the exact same thing when he was a kid my age. For generations the idea of a second coming of Jesus has been passed on from generation to generation, and always it is imminent. The second thing that comes into play when it comes with this idea of the mixed emotions waiting for Jesus' return is with Jesus' return, there is a sense of judgment that's a time of reckoning. Basically, Jesus, the story kind of has it that there's these scales and all the good things that you've done are on one side. All the bad things you've done are on the other side. 
and you hope that in the, the long run, there's more on the good side than the bad side. The, the other thing that I was taught was that Jesus was the one who could balance those scales and put it in my favor. If I was confessing my sins and willing to admit where I had erred. But what happened if I did something, something that maybe wasn't considered correct, would be considered a sin? What happens if I did that? And then when I did it, I didn't have time to confess that sin, ask for forgiveness before Jesus came. What would happen then? So there was this element of fear of not being certain where my future was. I mean, we were taught that, yeah, you could be assured of your salvation. Yeah, but there was always that element of like, man, I could screw this up. And then last of all, the other one that created these mixed motions was the destruction of the world. That's all. I mean, that literally is all that our race has known. The human species has, has known is this earth. And we are, I was taught that Jesus would come back and he would destroy this earth. So what did it leave me? Well, there would be a new heaven and a new earth. But when you lose everything, you lose what you're familiar with. You lose your roots, if you would. That can leave you feeling very shaken, uncertain about the future. I do remember, though, the first time I talked to a minister who was not of my denomination, and I asked him, I said, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus? And he looked at me and he said, um, you know, I never knew that he left to begin with. So I think his answer was no, he did not believe in the second coming of Jesus. However, what he did believe in was that the spirit of Jesus continued to exist. So even here is an example of someone who did not believe in a literal second coming of Jesus, wasn't waiting for that, and yet at the same time, there was this element that Jesus was still around. When asked in the larger audience of Americans, how many believed that we were facing the end times? Two out of five Americans believe that we are. That's 40% of individuals that were surveyed believe that we are living in the end times. Now, it doesn't matter if those end times are brought about by the second coming of Jesus or uh, something that we bring about as human beings. Look at this graphic that is on the screen. And when you notice that, you'll see the different possibilities of what might bring about the end of the world. Number one was the global pandemic. That's 19% of people surveyed believe that there would be a global pandemic that would bring about the end of our species. Now, that's interesting because that factor was not even there. If you go back 10 years, that wasn't even on the blip because we had not had COVID yet. The one that, next one you'll see, another 19% is climate change. 17% believe in nuclear war. Again, go back 10, 15 years, that was number one. It used to be number one. But it's dropped because of these other two threats. And then for the Christians, here it comes in at number four, is 13% of individuals believe in the judgment day. 
the second coming of Jesus that will bring about the end of the world. This idea of the world ending, as you see, is not limited to Christians. There are those who are not religiously affiliated. There are atheists who still believe that we could bring about the end not only of our species, but that possibly we could destroy our planet. So what about you? Do you believe in the second coming of Jesus? Do you believe that we are living in the end times and that either through a divine supernatural inbreaking or through our own natural mistakes and choices that we can bring about the end of our world, the end of our species? Well, if you believe in that, more than likely, it's probably creating a certain amount of angst within you. Because it doesn't matter if you see this as a supernatural inbreaking or a natural end of our world. The reality is that we have no control of either one of these. You know, I find it quite interesting that there are many Christian teachers, preachers, who will tell you when the end of the world will take place. They've always been wrong. Think about it. How many times individuals have believed that the world was coming to an end? Think back back about the movie 2012. The denomination I grew up in came out of a movement that believed that the world was coming into the end, and the end of the world was coming in 1844. That's over 150 years ago. So we have continually put out there as human beings this idea that we might be coming to an end. And perhaps that has its roots with this idea that we don't know really what happens when we die. Now, there are Christians who have a a very, very strong faith that believe that they know exactly what happens when we die, and those same Christians have this strong faith that will tell you exactly what is happening in the future. But even those who believe that this strongly, they have no control of how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. And if you're not a Christian, and if you're not religious-affiliated— there's still this sense of a lack of control. Think about global warming. There's only so many things we can do individually. There's only so many things we can do even as a country. But yet that constant fear that the climate change might bring about the end of our species, the end of our world, that there could be another global pandemic that we could destroy each other through nuclear war. All of these, and and the new one that I didn't even have on this survey that was taken, is artificial intelligence and what it could do for the future of our species. But all of those, ultimately, individually, we have no control of. And when you don't have control, it creates a sense of angst within a sense of anxiety, a sense of, of, unknow- of unknowing what will happen. So how do we live with that? 
Well, one possibility is you double down. You double down and believe in a God who will inbreak in our world and say, I will only allow this to happen for so long and then stop. My question, though, the challenge that I personally have faced when it comes to that issue is how long do we have to wait? What is God waiting for? How bad does our world have to get before God will inbreak? What, what scenarios have to still play out before God returns? How long can Christians maintain a sense of credibility if they continue to say that Jesus is coming back? Those are the questions that Christians, if we don't wrestle with them, our credibility in the larger populace is going to decline. We can't ignore the fact that what many individuals hoped for and believed in has not occurred, and what, what, for what reason do we think it might occur? In that survey that was given, those individuals, that 40%, the two out of five Americans who believe that we are living in the end of the world, they believed that it, was hap- it would happen by 2050. They believed it would happen in their lifetime. And more than likely, it won't. And then the second generation, the next generation, they'll pick up the mantle and they'll believe somehow that the world is coming to an end. You see the idea that if you can't control your own death and not know what's going to happen, then the ultimate form of death is the end of our world. So what can we do in the meantime? What can not only Christians, but other individuals who do not necessarily believe that the end of the world is imminent, what can we do? And what can Christians do who do believe that the end of the world is imminent? What can they do? I think, to begin with, it's really just a shift of focus. Instead of focusing on the pessimistic side and how troubled our world is, how bad things are, and that our hope is that somehow we will escape from all of this and either be in heaven or that our world will be destroyed in just a quick veering off. Fascinating article I saw the other day that there are a group of individuals, a growing number, who believe that we should allow the human species to become extinct. Fascinating. But instead of focusing on how bad things are going to get and either escaping by having our, our race, our, I mean, our species extinct or believing that somehow we'll escape and end up in some kind of heaven or nirvana, what if we focused upon what you and I can do right now? what you and I can do to care for one another, what you and I can do to bring about equality, to bring about a sense of justice, where people are truly treated equally as much as possible. 
a focus upon caring for our planet. Yeah, I may not know or have a lot of influence or have a big impact on global warming, but I can do my part. And by doing my part, then if that multiplies, it can have a, a huge effect. But even by just by doing my part, it creates a state of mind, kind of a sense of stewardship that I am responsible as an individual for this planet. And my footprints can make a difference. But not only that, if we focused upon creating a planet and especially a humanity being nonviolent. I mean, we just this last week celebrated, and wrong word, totally wrong word, we experienced the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Our president was over there and spoke about how we are committed to making a difference. And that, that's a complex issue. But there again is an example of where we as a species have continually turned to violence to resolve our problems. That violence is a point where we can literally destroy our planet and each other. But if we focused instead and emphasized that nonviolence can actually make our world a better place, a more sustainable place, that can make a difference. You see, ultimately, if you believe that we are living in the end times, if you believe in a literal second coming Jesus, or if you don't, what really matters, in my opinion, is one simple focus. How are we living our lives right now? Where is your focus? Are you living on a day-to-day basis focusing on the present moment and what you can do now, not only to enhance the quality of your life, but the life of those around you, within your circle. Perhaps that is the answer. Perhaps that can alleviate some of the fear. And so when we feel this angst and anxiety about the future, not only our future, but the future of our planet, perhaps that is a sign that we need to step back and focus instead on the present moment, what many individuals call mindfulness. I'm not sure where you stand or even where you sit. That was a joke. (laughs) Instead, I guess my question for you is... How much are you at peace about your future? Your future when it comes to your death, and your future when it comes to how long you will exist upon this planet, and how long we as a species will exist upon this planet. How long will our planet exist? I'm not sure where you exist, where you come down on those positions. But I do want to encourage you again to focus upon the moment where you find yourself. And if you can stay present, it goes a long way in alleviating a lot of the fears and anxiety that we feel. I hope you will try that this week. I hope you'll just take a a little bit of time, a little bit of effort 
to be present, to be in the moment, to realize what you can do in the present, what you can do in the moment. Focus on that. Control what you can control. So I wish you the best. I hope you will try that. So no matter what you're doing the rest of the week, I hope you'll stay safe out there. And I hope you'll be willing to share this podcast with another individual. Doesn't matter what platform you're listening to. If you enjoy this podcast and you would like to share it with others, one of the things you can do is to promote that is hit that like button, push that share button, share it with someone. Perhaps by sharing this podcast, it might actually open up an opportunity for you to have a conversation with other people about these issues and the other ones that we look at. The other thing I would ask you to do is continue to send in those emails. We greatly appreciate, we enjoy being able to read those, respond to those. And again, we would encourage you to do that. You can email us at the email address that is at the bottom of your screen. Or if you're listening, you can find it in the show notes. It's media at beatitudeschurch.org. So enjoy the rest of your day. Take care of yourself and we'll see you soon.